0: You're listening to another episode of Cyber Insiders, where cybersecurity is everyone's business. This podcast series features leaders from industry, academia, and government agencies. Now here's your host, Kevin Danino.
1: Thank you for joining Cyber Center of Excellence for Cyber Insiders. This five-part series features a star-studded lineup from industry, academia, and government agencies as we delve into the anatomy of cyber attacks. We'll dissect several of the recent hacks how they happened, what could have been done differently to prevent such breaches, and how businesses can mitigate their risk. This episode will explore the largest supply chain breach and how hackers gained access to the networks, systems, and data of thousands of SolarWinds customers, plus why and how these cyber threats across critical supply chain sectors are increasing. Welcome back to Cyber Insiders, Kevin Denino here, your host, and once again, we are dissecting some of the more notable breaches and hacks of of 2021, Um, and again, really excited. We have two great guests to really dissect the SolarWinds attack, and relative to that, I will introduce our awesome guests today. We have David Lavender, who is Principal of Advanced Threat Services at Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, and as well as Lieutenant Colonel Ty Shepard. Chief Cyber Operations with the California Military Department. Um, First off, David, welcome to the program. Um, Why don't you give our listeners a little flavor for your background um, and experience as well? Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. Um, So as you mentioned,
2: I run the uh, operations organization within the advanced threat services business on the commercial side of Booz Allen. Uh, Prior to that, I was part of a, a small cybersecurity startup that was actually acquired by Booz Allen um, and then before that,
1: I spent the better part of a decade um, in the U.S. intelligence community. Appreciate that. And uh, thanks for having. Uh, thanks for again for coming on the program and look forward to a, a good discussion. And um, wanted to introduce our, our second guest, uh, Colonel Shepard from the California Military Department. Um, you know, would love to learn a little bit more about your background, too, Colonel Shepard.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I look forward to this conversation. Uh, As you stated, I'm the Chief of Cyber Operations for the California Military Department right now. So we have three full-time state active duty cyber teams within the state, um, comprised of about 40 uh, skilled cybersecurity airmen and soldiers working in support of the California Cyber Integration Center or Calsic, and the California Department of Technology. In addition to that, I oversee the operations of two Air Guard cyber squadrons and one army cyber protection team as part of the California National Guard's standing joint task force. My background um, is a little crazy, definitely not uh, like normal in the cyber world, but uh, there's not a lot that is, but uh, my undergraduate, I I focused on computer science, um, got commissioned on active duty army as a light infantry officer. So I was airborne ranger type Um, that forces you to learn a lot about communications equipment, uh, connectivity when you're jumping out of planes, um, surrounded by bad guys. And obviously, obviously, you learn a lot about offensive and defensive operations, which are kinetic, um, but obviously ties really well with uh, the cyber realm as well. After leaving active duty, uh, I joined the California National Guard, spent a lot of time in the J3 directorate. So that's joint um, operations, where I learned a lot about IT systems, what we currently have, and then uh, improved those within the state. And then that got uh, realized at, at the national level so I built some of the systems for NORTHCOM, which is the combatant commander in charge of the protection of the United States, other combatant commands, and then some other federal agencies. Um, was selected to go to Ukraine um, to be part of the defense education advisory group as the C4 ISR lead, um, which uh, got me some notoriety in the, uh, in the cyber realm. Um, and then after that deployment uh, to Ukraine, uh, came back and took over as the chief of cyber ops for the California military department have been in that role um, ever since, except for a little break um, when I went to Cuba um, and assisted with some uh, some operations over there.
1: All right. Well, you know, we are we are really appreciative and um, excited to have you on, Colonel Shepard. This should be a, a good convo. So we're going to we're going to jump right in. And, you know, this was definitely um, I was really intrigued to to have you both on to talk through this, because I feel like from just a publicity standpoint, this supply chain hack that involved solar winds and their Orion system was really, you know, seemed to make a ton of headlines and it was very much unprecedented. And if it wasn't the largest, it was definitely one of the largest ever recorded. And so, you know, I think David, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, when we look to kind of dissect things here, really, would love to know what happened in this hack and what was the vector in this case, um, in your opinion,
2: yeah. So SolarWinds was definitely an interesting time. Um, you know, unfortunately, SolarWinds has been pretty closed mouth about the initial attack vector. Um, the information that can be shared publicly points to really one of three initial attack vectors, and that's targeted spear phishing, uh, brute forcing, or you know the use of a previously compromised credentials, uh, or a zero day vulnerability in one of the legitimate libraries used by uh, the Orion platform. Um, And these all align pretty well with what we would expect from the you know, kind of the attribution to the Russian state-aligned hacking groups. Um, They've used all three of these vectors in the past. Um, The really interesting thing for me about SolarWinds was that um, it was kind of a stepped attack, right? They first inserted a very simple line of code into the build of the Orion platform. And it was a very simple line of code that checked for whether um, it was a 32-bit or a 64-bit processor. And this was way back in September 2019. Um, and it was really a full five months before the attackers came back with their actual malicious backdoor and put that into the Orion build. Um, and so they really pushed kind of a proof of concept. They wanted to see if they could get their code in this update process and make sure that it was then propagated out to, the, uh, you know, to all the customers. Um, and so once the backdoor was then pushed via that legitimate software update process, Um, It was active for about 10 months until uh, FireEye eventually detected it in December 2020.
1: Talk about, uh, you know, kind of laying low for a while. I mean, five months is a, you know, a significant chunk of time uh, to, to do this. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize, David, that, you know, there is a kind of a long term game to this in many in many cases as well, isn't there?
2: Oh, well, there absolutely is, and that's really one of the hallmarks. When you talk about these, you know, persistent threats, these nation-state level actors, um, low and slow is kind of the mantra we use when we talk about the nation-state level. They're not in a hurry, right? They want to look for something that no one's thought of before, right? And uh, and and really work their way in. Um, so it absolutely is a is a very different uh, threat vector than you know the Nigerian prince phishing scam or the sure. spray and pray that you see of organized crime ransomware.
1: Sure. And and, and Colonel Shepard, you know, I appreciate your perspective on this, just looking at it maybe from, a you know, the, the nation state side of things and just given your background, you know, how did the how did the military, um, in your opinion, kind of approach this in terms of what happened as well?
0: Yeah. Now this, I mean, it was it was really well orchestrated. It, it's uh, it's exciting for me to 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 learn you know learn about the background and then you know see seeing some of it as it happened real time. But it reminds me of a lot of what I saw you know over in Ukraine um, dealing with uh, with uh, folks east of there um, and their tactics and techniques. And a lot of it is just you know establishing that foothold and then you know having a tool that's available to you and then utilizing that tool um, whenever you're strategic. Uh, lines of effort, or a strategic initiative, or a certain time and place, um, you need it. You need it done. Um, but uh, yeah, really well orchestrated. As far as you know, looking at it, um, just like uh, you know David said, you know, opening up that back door, you know, version uh, getting the getting the malicious code in there, and then distributing it, you know, automatically using updates. You can get once you're already in, you can you can reach out and go uh, across other organizations and other businesses, um, establishing that foothold. You know, in September 2019. Um, and then, you know, modifying the software updates to do that distribution. Um, and then uh, after you did it, I mean, they even did a proof of concept, you know, essentially um, later, you know, in that year, and then, uh, you know, started setting up the command and control infrastructure around December 19 um, through February 20. Um, and then, uh, you know, just making sure everything was established and then just waiting for the, you know, the, the time to, uh, to, to utilize it and, and press the button to, to execute it. Um, and then just really interesting also, I mean, if you look at the miter attack you know, tactics. I um, mean, they used essentially 10 different, you know, tactics in that, you know, from the basic stuff like lateral movement, committed control, data exfiltration, um, getting the foothold, initiate you know, communications, you know, all that stuff. But if you look at a, a classic model, I mean, this is it. And then that, you know, that discipline um, to, uh, you know, get the hook, you know, in really deeply and then exploit the information they're looking looking for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, i, I I want to, i want to kind of double down on this too uh colonel just to get your take as well you know why why do you think it took so long to detect this attack and you know what could have been done differently to to really minimize the impact of of the hack
0: yeah i mean again really good on the technique so essentially the communications when they set it when they when they on um, this adversary got in is they were designed to mimic the legitimate solar winds traffic so You know, it mimicked it, so you don't see anything as far as within the system. Um, It then gained access to emails and other confidential documents, um, which then helped the the attackers to gain and hunt for certificates, certificates, uh, which then allowed them to masquerade essentially as legitimate users. Um, And then once they did that, like we were talking about establishing this command and control, you know, usually if you've got command and control nodes going over to IP addresses, um, you know, in in Eastern Europe um, or in the Middle East or anything else that raises awareness, but they did a really good job as far as attackers and they set up their command and control servers on commercial cloud services like Amazon and Microsoft and GoDaddy and others. So the IP addresses were all based in the United States. Um, so again, establishing that foothold, mimicking you know the legitimate solar winds traffic, getting the certificates, then establishing their C2 nodes um, out of uh, places here in the United States, um, so that avoids the detection um, by Einstein, uh, Einstein, the national uh, essentially cybersecurity system operated by DHS. Um, and then um, you know I think that really you know was the way to, to kind of mask that. I think in also it was kind of a perfect storm in that. The federal government, we had a lot of senior leader positions vacant. Um, uh, in the cyber realm, um, and honestly, we've never seen anything really like this either. Um, so I think those all, um, you know, caused and amplified the effects.
1: Appreciate that, David. Any any thoughts, um, you know, to kind of piggyback off of the the colonel in terms of why things took so long, and maybe some things that could have been done differently.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think the colonel said it well. I think um, you know what I would add is really that how thorough the attackers were right and like the colonel mentioned how how well they masqueraded as legitimate traffic um you know it's easy to say review the code although most suppliers don't make their source code available for review you know whether it's intellectual property or itar or anything like that it's also very easy to say you know follow the model of least trust but in the case of orion they need to operate at a high level and so really in this case the most reasonable prevention would really have been to monitor for unusual traffic following that install Mm -hmm. and then aggressively investigate and verify with the supplier. Um, I think it was the Vilexity firm had detected unusual Orion communications in July of 2020. um, And if they had really, really aggressively pulled that thread, uh, we could have uh, detected that earlier and really cut the attacker's dwell time in about half. Um, But a concerted effort to monitor this critical piece of infrastructure um, and an infrastructure management software like this uh, would have cut their dwell time even further.
1: Yeah, uh, agree there. Okay, and you know, we're David. We're now um, it's been a year, give or take. I, I mean, we're coming up on the anniversary of this of this hack, and we, you know, we we've definitely learned a lot about who the bad actors were in this case and kind of the rationale behind why they targeted SolarWinds. So, um, but what I really want to talk about is really the the evolution of these ransomware games. Um, and, and what that means for businesses um, as well. So, you know, what's your take in terms of do you think the the SolarWinds hack really represents the beginning of a, a new wave of these kind of software based supply chain attacks, especially now and going forward, knowing that our supply chain is already, you know, kind of at a critical juncture as well? Yeah, so SolarWinds
2: definitely represents the most visible and notorious example of a software supply chain attack. But it's also important to know that it's more of an evolutionary attack. It's not something that's wholesale, revolutionary, and rare. We do see supply chain attacks in present day. We have seen them in the past, sometimes on a small scale, sometimes on a much larger scale. Uh, SolarWinds is, is definitely one of the largest and most damaging, but it's really nothing new at all. Um, Over the last couple of years, we've seen, you know, Middle Eastern countries conducting supply chain attacks on telecommunications, ISP companies across the Middle East, North Africa region, uh, which are actually larger in scope and scale than SolarWinds. Um, Cyber criminals have used this tactic, compromising ATM manufacturers, um, even attempting to uh, compromise payment processors and steal payment card data. And so supply chain compromises aren't really new or novel per se, what makes SolarWinds remarkable is that the targets were American and international companies, particularly servicing American government and other major organizations. Um, and so a lot has been made of the thousands upon thousands of organizations that, that use Orion. Um, even Russian cyber teams have specific or, uh, orders and directions. And so a good 95% of the organizations that were even on the Russians' radar – I'm sorry, were never on the Russians' radar – Um, And there's a manpower issue there, right? There's no way that all of those organizations can be exploited for espionage purposes. But to your point, Kevin, ransomware is a little bit of a different story, right? You can make the argument that the Russians may be planning a mass ransomware attack, but really to what end, right? Other than just pure money. The supply chain is always going to be a target given the potential payoff, but for the ransomware as a service and traditional state-sponsored espionage campaigns, um, whether or not that results in a string of really high-profile software attacks um, is, is really up to the security professionals in charge of uh, securing these organizations. Um, and so Kaseya is a great example, right, of kind of a mass ransomware campaign. So mm-hmm. I think they're coming. I don't think they're going to become the new normal, though.
1: Okay. Colonel, uh, you know, what's your take just from a kind of a from the military side of things and a military perspective when you when you look at some of these software supply chain type attacks?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, just like uh, David said, I mean, very common, um, especially outside of the United States, um, in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, and Southeast Asia, um, this is all very common um, uh, to see. But I think the biggest thing is it just really raised the visibility of the private sector and, uh, and the government um, to see that. You know, this 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 can happen on a very large scale. Um, also, it just shows that, you know, cyber ta- here in the United States, a lot of folks, you know, believe, hey, cyber attackers are domestic or you know, le- uh, international low-level hackers. Um, they're doing stuff and not, not necessarily nation states or APTs, advanced persistent threats or tier one opponents, but it really just, you know, this showed that, hey, you know, the effects of nation states, you know, fighting right now, you know, in the fifth domain um, and the collateral damage that can happen um, and that there is a digital war going on right now between superpowers and then that collateral damage you know, definitely falls out you know, over onto the private sector and can affect supply chains, which not necessarily are the effects, you know, the specific effects that if you're an APT or a nation state, you're looking for, but essentially it's collateral damage, um, just like if we were you know, doing a drone strike or anything else. It um, also, I think it just shows you the large scale and high level focus now by the government and the DOD you know, now that we've you've seen this and you've seen it happen, um, you know, lately I can say from the military side, over the last you know 20 years, we've been really focused on irregular, asymmetric warfare. Um, you know, on the terrorist side and the war on terror. Uh, but now there's a there's a rapid shift in focus um, in this all-in uh, to winning the war, uh, the future wars, as far as against tier one opponents, um, those being Russia and China. Um, and then you know, we're very quickly refocusing on the multi-domain information warfare aspects of that just like you know solar winds was um but that being said i mean we're playing catch up right now as far as to russia and china who've been operating offensively in the fifth domain um, they've already integrated into, you know, their, their operations into a hybrid warfare strategy um, that you've seen in, in Ukraine and in, in, in Syria. I've definitely seen firsthand um, in, uh, in the joint, uh, out in Eastern Ukraine. And uh, you know, we've got to mature on that whole information security uh, doctrine as far as uh, from the DOD side. And we're working towards that.
1: Uh, great to hear. All right. Well, I'm going to share some research with you, with you both as well. So we've, you know, one of our questions here is there's some research by Blue Voyant that's revealing that 97% of firms surveyed have been negatively impacted by a breach that occurred in their supply chain. Um, It was also found that about 93% of these firms admitted that they had suffered a direct cybersecurity breach because of weaknesses in their supply chain. So, you know, a lot of these stats really beg the question, you know, what are some practical steps or strategies that, that businesses need to implement to really reduce their risk um, to a cyber attack to their uh, supply chain. Um, David, I'd love to start with your thoughts and, and have the kind of have the kernel wrap from that end.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, when you get into practicality of steps and business strategies, right, that's when it gets interesting. Um, first and foremost, the advice I give everyone is the patch. Right. Patch, patch, patch. Spend the $10,000 in overtime to patch at 8 p.m. or you spend the million dollars cleaning up the mess. Right. Um, And the reason that I always tell people to patch is not because the patch that you're installing is going to make you secure. It's because by patching, you're forcing the attacker's hand. Right. If you're behind on your patch. Right. What my favorite part of every patch that comes out are the patch notes associated with the patch. And so, if you're behind on your patch notes, uh, on, on your patching, all an attacker has to do is essentially figure out what version you're on and go read the patch notes of the next patch, because it talks, not directly, but it talks indirectly about the vulnerabilities that were patched. And so, it, it kind of gives the attacker a leg up on on what they're targeting. They fire up, you know, Metasploit or one of the publicly available attacker frameworks. Right, and and it's very very targeted at that point. Um, the other thing to think about from a concrete step perspective is segment your network. The two things we tell customers all the time to help protect against this thing, uh, this kind of attack is take away local admin and segment your network. Um, the more segmented it is, the harder it is for an attacker to move laterally and access additional systems. Um, and the stricter vetting policies for third-party software and hardware suppliers. Local admin, too, is a huge convenience for the user and a huge risk from the cybersecurity side. Um, So, having appropriate monitoring protocols in place, um, you know, policy of least privilege, right? Local admin as a last resort, um, third party software rules, policies, things like that. Um, And then just reusing passwords, right? Attackers love system passwords. They love those system accounts that exist, you know, APIs and things like that. Um, So pay special attention to those as well, because they are a huge lateral movement tool for attackers.
1: I mean, that's definitely been a trend across all of these hacks that we've discussed in past episodes, whether it's dormant accounts or system passwords um, being used, too. So in many cases, it's still very much practical advice. I appreciate that. Colonel... Colonel, beyond that, you know, from a from your perspective, what are some other areas maybe that that businesses can can implement to reduce their risk?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'll just throw out some stats you. Just uh, the California Cybersecurity Integration Center—they do monthly briefs, and actually the monthly brief is going on right now. I'm looking at some of the slides on it, and uh, the 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 theme for for this month um, is. Uh, cyber threat deep dive attack on attack service management. And some stats, number one, one of the ones I, that, that leapt out at me on, on attack vectors is, is uh, on, this, uh, on this one of the slides that's in this briefing is one of 15 organizations currently running a version of SolarWinds that is known to be actively exploited or highly tempting. So one in 15 organizations, we're talking about SolarWinds, they haven't even fixed you know, the, the issues with it and, and can be exploited. Uh, 15% of organizations are running an outdated version of IS-6 uh, 3% of organizations are still running older versions of Microsoft Outlook um, web access. And get this one, more than 25% of organizations have an RDP exposed to the internet. So that's a remote desktop protocol. Um so I guess my thoughts is, you know, going back, you know, like I was telling you my background as an airborne ranger and as an infantryman, as far as playing offense and defenses, you know, you've got to look at your your whole, you know, essentially your whole attack surface. You know, everything there. Um, you've got to set the culture. You know, within your business, as far so everybody is is a sensor, like we say in the military. Hey, everybody's a sensor. You're always, you know, everybody's looking for for gaps and vulnerabilities, um, you know, that that you have within your defensive perimeters. Um, you also want to look at your tax surface, try to simplify it. So if it's a business, and you've got a software system, or even a mechanical system, you know, trying to reduce the amount of components down, um, or anything else from like 10 to six, I mean, that reduces your risk by 40%. Um, And just, you know, always think of something from from the red side, if you're trying to defend. um, Because uh, again, that somebody who's hacking, especially if it's an APT, or if it's a really advanced threat, I mean, they're just they're looking for the easiest way to get in, um, two examples of this, you know, would be recently that that we've I, we've had to deal with directly as far as the military department looking at how people got in. But you know, you've got a port down in Southern California. Um, the way they got in was through a camera system um, to affect essentially you know multi-billion-dollar port operation. Um, you know, there was a there was a hack um, in in uh, in Las Vegas, and and they got in through a, a thermometer that was connected to that was in a fish tank that was connected through Wi-Fi. You know, what I mean, and again, it doesn't matter once you're in. You know, you're in. Um, So I always use examples, you know, as far as people that understand, you know, defense or even on the cyber side, you know, the obvious route in as far as that front door, you've got a triple lock and you've got lasers, you've got a guy standing with a big gun by the front of it is great. But I mean, you have to circle the entire house, look at all the windows, look at all the nooks and crannies, you know, everything else, because a a good person that's going in offensively or that's doing a pen test or anything else is going to look for the easiest way in and they're obviously looking for the easiest target.
1: Such a such a great point. And with IoT and so many devices that are connect, you know, web enabled and connected. I, I think people over I think people just practically speaking overlook that on a on a day-to-day basis. I mean the thermometer point. I mean that's that's a great one. And you know, we do we we probably all know people that are still using Internet Explorer six or seven, which is which is still pretty wild um, as well. So I really appreciate those tips I know we're we're getting close to end of the road here so I wanted to hit you both with kind of a um a final thought type question relative to lessons learned and and David will start with you but when it comes to when it comes to solar wind and this hack um any final thoughts in terms of lessons learned um no
2: Kevin I think I I think I've said everything I need to say um you know, it's, it's a very interesting attack. I don't think it's the last of its kind we've ever seen. Um, certainly in the U S and and we know for a fact globally. Um, but hopefully, uh, you know, companies really learn from this, right. They learn from the mistakes of others, um, and, uh, and, and are doing the right things to, uh, to secure themselves and make themselves less likely to be a victim of these kinds of attacks in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Colonel, any, any final thoughts, you know, beyond, uh, this conversation too, in terms of some of the lessons learned?
0: I mean, I guess my take is, you know, focusing on my side, as far as the military side is, you know, we'll we'll say open source, you know, it looks like this was APT 29. Um, So, uh, you know, the, the Russians are the SVR. um, And, and the way I look at is, is, I mean, I look at what I've seen right now, as far as, you know, over this year period, like, like you stated, uh, you know, again, where we at is I look at like the quote from Admiral Yamamoto, Um, the Japanese Admiral that that led the attack on Pearl Pearl Harbor, where, you know, after the attack, you know, during it, he said, quote, I fear we've all we've done is awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with terrible resolve, end quote. Um, And and that's kind of the way that I'm seeing things right now from at least a military perspective and the federal government side is right now, you know, we've realized that we're behind on the information security hybrid warfare fight. Um, But historically, the U.S. has caught it very quickly once poked or provoked. And and you know I've been in the, in the in the military for for well over 20 years, and I've never seen a ramp up like we're doing right now in my 20 years, 20 plus years of military service, um, which includes 9/11, um, and that being all focused on you know that multi domain and uh, and uh, and cyber fight. So um, you know we're coming. All
1: right, yeah, rally cap mode. I like it. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective too. Um, Gentlemen, this was great. Um, we're we're at our we're at our time here, and um, I, I appreciate the, the the commentary and the insight relative to this hack. And thank you both for coming um, as well. So appreciate having you on the program. Absolutely, thank sure. you. All right, and, and and wrapping for our listeners, appreciate both of our guests today. We do have some great resources available for for business owners in terms of a breach guide. So be sure to to check out SDCCOE.org and look for that breach guide as well. Um, Our next episode in this Anatomy of a Hack series will focus on server vulnerabilities. And so um, be sure to tune in for that episode. Thank you again for listening. And again, check out CCOE.org or SDCCOE.org for any further resources and protect your organization against the next cyber attack. This is Kevin Danino signing off and we'll see you soon.